I'm going to talk today about what I put my faith in. I will speak of faith as an assurance or a confidence in things unseen. Many Christians assume that what to have faith in is clear, and they speak only of how much faith they have. But I think this is backwards. I think what to put one's faith in should be the concern. Having faith should not be a litmus test to see if one can stand up against facts as if God rewards those who ignore reality. Faith is not a bulwark with which we oppose life. Instead, faith should contribute toward understanding life more clearly and living life more fully. Jesus himself said that he came so that we may have life, live life more abundantly. Having faith in the right ideas allows us to do what is right with a sense of purpose and confidence. So give thought to what to put your faith in, but do not worry about how much faith you have. Once you have your faith in the right places, it will naturally grow over time as the actions you take based on your faith produce positive results for you and the people whose lives you touch. As Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. Faith shows itself as a harmony with life. So what we put our faith in matters greatly, but I cannot say definitively what all those right things are. I believe I know some, but I'm not presumptuous enough to claim to know them all. I will confine myself to talk about what makes sense to me and I hope you will find my comments helpful. You will have to walk your own faith journey. I will walk mine, and hopefully we can help each other along the way. So what do I put my faith in? In my sermon on love in August 2012, I quoted Scott Peck's definition of love as, quote, the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth, end quote. I also presented Bishop Joseph Fletcher's idea that if there were more than one commandment from God, then one could, with enough imagination, think of a situation in which following one commandment would necessarily violate another, and I gave an example. Fletcher's logic leads to the conclusion that there can only be one commandment from God, but which of the many candidates is the one? Because I have faith in a good and loving God, I have faith that that one commandment is to love. This, is the type of lo this type of love is Christian love, the type of love Jesus talked about and what the gospel writer John had in mind when he described God as love. To love our fellow human beings starts with a belief that every person on earth is a child of God, is loved by God, is valuable to God, has the potential, though not always realized, to be valuable to society. To love is to act accordingly. As I mentioned earlier, when your faith is in the right place, it will naturally grow. Since I adopted the idea over a decade ago that love is the be-all and end-all in all ethical decision-making, I have seen the validity of it a number of times and my faith in that idea has only grown stronger. So I have a great deal of faith in love, but what else do I put my faith in? 
I have faith in the goodness of life that our Creator has given us. While there is much tragedy here on earth, there is much good in our lives here and now. And I have faith that we will see an explosion of wonder, beauty, goodness, and awe in the afterlife. What we experience in life here on earth is just the beginning of what I believe will be an everlasting life whose grandeur we cannot yet imagine. Though this is yet unseen, I do believe that near-death experiences, such as the one described by neurologist Dr. Eben Alexander in his book, Proof of Heaven, indicate the immediate transition of every soul into an afterlife once the, body, the physical body dies. Millions of Christians see the goal of life as just earning a place in heaven. Not only is this a moot point in my view, being, but being so concerned with the future can cause one to overlook the goodness of life in the present. Spiritual teachings from centuries ago tell us that obsession with the past and concern for the future rob us of the joy of living in the present. For those of you familiar with it, perhaps this is what Jesus meant with his parable about the lilies of the field. Some Christians mock humanism, most likely in reaction to the insistence of some humanists that humanism is strictly secular. I suspect many humanists are in turn reacting against what they see is a shortage of concern for life on earth in many Christians who are, not overly con who are overly concerned with just obtaining a ticket to heaven. While I disagree with the denial of God by those who affirm a strictly, strictly secular version of humanism, I do embrace its goal of the full development of each person as a human. Humanists are right about the importance of living life well now, regardless of whether or not there is an afterlife. They are right in saying we need to revel in the potential of human life. To those who see humanism being contrary to their religion, I say this, if you believe God created you, and obviously he created you to be a human being, then what better response can you make to God than to show your acceptance of this by becoming the best human being you can be? Clearly, humanism has much in common with God's commandment to love. I also have faith that God has given us free will. I soundly reject the Calvinist idea that God has already determined our fate and that he knows everything that will happen in the future. As I mentioned in my sermon on Harry Potter, no one likes a control freak. And when God is portrayed as a deity who allows only what he ordains ahead of time, then he is being portrayed as an extreme control freak. Some people may think it exalts God to think of him as being in control, that God's total control is evidence of power and might, but I do not. To me, a God who is not willing to let go and let us live our lives as we wish is a fearful God. Instead, I see God as a loving creator who has the courage to give us the gift of life with no strings attached. That means we truly have free will. And that's scary. That means we can ruin our lives and harm others by being evil. But that risk is required because we cannot choose to do good unless we also have the choice to do evil. That is why what we put our faith in matters so much. God must have thought most of us would turn out well. So not only do I have faith in God, but I am awed by the faith that God has put in me. 
I have faith that though mysterious, God is good. I allow myself to be drawn into mystery because it is intriguing, and I think the mystery of God is there to draw us toward him. So I take some time every now and then to ponder about theological mysteries. I have faith that God has given me space to grow, explore, and learn. I appreciate the fact that we learn as we live life instead of knowing everything at birth. What we come to know in life is more meaningful if we learn it on our own. My most important advances in life came years ago when I, secure enough to know that I was free to test drive new ideas, did just that and discovered new ways of understanding life that were superior to what I had been taught as I grew up. Understanding that God loves all people helped me expand my humanity as I strove to break down barriers between myself and others, just as Jesus exemplified. One element of faith is to recognize unjustified fears and ignore them. In using the space God has given me to explore and learn, I am willing to live with uncertainty. I see accepting an uncertainty as having faith in a good God. It's better to acknowledge that for now, I do not know all the answers to all of life's questions than to grasp onto answers that do not make sense. Some people pretend that all they need to know is in the Bible, but this notion strikes me as a superficial attempt to seek comfort and security. It is only by thinking deeply and taking my time that I can appreciate the complexities of life. If I fail to think deeply about life's hard questions and quickly grasp onto convenient answers, then I will fail to understand the depth of life and therefore fail to appreciate the full wonder of God. It is enriching to ponder the big questions of life. I have faith that God has not created a mean-spirited world in which I'm punished for doubting, questioning, or simply acknowledging that I do not know. In my job as a software engineer, I design and write computer programs. I verify the quality of the design by trying to think of anything and everything that can go wrong, by comparing my design to all possible alternatives, and not settling on a final design until I have very good reasons for it versus the alternatives. I know the design is optimal only if it can withstand critical analysis. Likewise, in my spiritual life, it is in doubting and questioning that I come to know the truth and understand life better. Any increase in my faith that results from this is a natural byproduct, not a goal. While I believe that some people in the past have learned things about God through spiritual encounters, suffering, or just deep thinking, and that some of their stories have made it into the Bible. I reject the notion that everything has already been divinely revealed, written down, and that nothing more is needed. I believe that God wants our faith journey through life to be more meaningful than reading previously revealed knowledge and sticking to it when it contradicts the facts. My faith is not really my own unless I work to earn it. I strive to understand as much as I can about God, life, and the universe but I recognize that they are all different, though connected. The physical world can be understood by the scientific method of making observations and measurements, of postulating theories of matter, energy, and forces, how they interact, and by performing experiments to validate which theories work best. I have faith in the scientific method, 
but it must be restricted to the physical world. I also believe in a spiritual world where science does not apply. The spiritual world is not subject to concrete analysis, and we must avoid overreaching in our attempts to describe it. We should be open to the spiritual world and honor the mystery of it by acknowledging our very limited understanding of it. I reject any notion that revealed spiritual knowledge can supersede science in the realm of the physical world, and equally, I reject any notion that science can in any way deny the existence of God or define the spiritual world. Confusion reigns when the differences in separation between the physical and spiritual realms are not recognized. For example, though I believe deeply in God, I also believe in evolution. Quite frankly, I think the millions of fundamentalist Christians missed the boat in the worthless debate over evolution that has raged far too long. It is a huge failure to recognize the separation of the physical from the spiritual. The, evident, the essence of who we are as a creation of God is our soul, not our body. Evolution has to do only with the physical human body and thus is in the realm of science. God's creation of our souls is purely a spiritual matter. The two thus have no intersection in which to conflict. Some people seem to believe that heaping traits onto God that are impossible for us humans, such as omnipotence and omniscience, makes God be a better God. I disagree, because while abilities such as these would make God more powerful, they come at a price. For example, if God is omnipotent, why is there so much suffering in the world? Indeed, many thoughtful people have turned away from God precisely because the assumption of God having such power and yet not using it to relieve human misery must mean that God is callous. In hearing the argument that there cannot be a good God in a world of such suffering, I think of the old saying, God has no feet but our feet and no hands but our hands. I have faith that God does care about the suffering in the world and that he wants us to do something about it. I also have faith in Jesus as the ultimate role model. He had a knowledge of God that far exceeds that of any other person in, his, in history. He showed a tremendous love for people as individuals and as groups. He opposed judgment, separation, and exclusion at every turn. He broke down every barrier he encountered that oppressed people. He comforted the afflicted and afflicted the comfortable, not to hurt them, but to make them wake up. For our lives to have meaning, we must exhibit love and compassion for others, just as Jesus did for everyone he encountered. I also have faith in the power of courage when, when it allows people to do the right thing. We live in a world full of fear, not just fear of terrorism, being laid off, or not having enough money, but the more internal fears of not pleasing other people, personal weaknesses, and for some, fear of God. Fear is so prevalent that for most of us, and I do not exclude myself, most of us live in far more fear than we realize. Indeed, we usually take note when we see any of the small number of people who have little fear. Many people try to mask their fear from themselves and others with cloaks of piety and religious certainty, sadly pretending that God is in control and will take action to make everything turn out well, 
often prevents people from honestly facing and solving their problems. As FDR so aptly put it, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. I have faith that engaging with people and seeking common understanding is always good. One way to do that is to make sure we truly understand them. The statement I just made about God being con in control is a good example. I've heard many times the phrase, quote, turn it over to God. And I always understood it to mean that the person should simply not do anything except wait for God to intervene and resolve the problem for them. Recently, when someone used that phrase in our conversation, I paused and asked exactly what was meant by that phrase. The answer both surprised and pleased me. For this person, at least, she meant that she should think about how God would want her to handle the problem. She did not mean that she expected God to intervene on her behalf, which is what I had always thought people meant by that phrase, in which, I, in which is why I had always thought that phrase did not make any sense. I was very pleased to find common ground. I know that that will not always happen, but I have faith that sincerely engaging with people, clarifying what they mean, trying to understand their position, stating simply what I believe, and treating them with respect is much more productive than arguing. I put a great deal of faith in seeking the truth. Seeking the truth can be painful, especially when it means confronting our own weaknesses or admitting that long-held beliefs are wrong. We naturally resist ideas that, contract what we have, that contradict what we have long believed. But we must seek the truth. As the Bible says, seek the truth and it will set you free. I have faith that God is the ultimate truth. I firmly believe that every step toward the truth we take is a step toward understanding God. This is one area where I think many people falter as many seem to seek comfort and security at the expense of the truth. Tragically, despite the good it has done, Christianity has a track record of denying the truth in the process of, quote, defending the faith. For example, the church condemned Galileo for claiming the earth revolved around the sun. The church did so because it saw his claim as violating the idea that the perfect word of God was contained in the Bible. Yet, of course, today we know not only that Galileo was right, but it seems ridiculous to us that the church at that time considered that to be such uh, an heretical idea. What would happen if the church had had its way and science had been shut down? Would we be better off today as a society denying scientific truths at the church as the church of Galileo's time wanted? To me, Galileo's work opened the door for understanding the universe as it really is. Today, we know the universe is 13 billion years old, spans billions of light years in size, was created by a very mysterious Big Bang, contains billions and billions of galaxies and planets like Earth, may contain other life, and is quite beautiful and wonderful. Galileo's discovery, which the church tried to suppress, has shown us that the universe is far larger, grander, and more beautiful than anything people of Galileo's time could have imagined. How ironic that the church which proclaimed that God created the universe actively worked to suppress the discovery of just how grand that universe is. 
There are many more examples like this I could give if I had the time, but I think you're probably well aware of them already, so I will move on. The bottom line is that God does not need to be protected from the truth. I have faith that God is the ultimate truth. The mere idea of defending the faith is an oxymoron. So let us seek the truth with wild abandonment and have faith that with each step toward the truth, we've taken a step toward understanding God. I have faith that life with compassion and love opens our hearts and minds to great riches of wonder, awe, and joy. I seek to find common ground with people of other religions and people with none. I have faith that my life can be enriched by listening to others and by being honest and caring in my relationship with other people. Learning from one another helps us to appreciate one another. If another person gives me an idea that I discover to be true, then I have been enriched. And if not, I do not consider it a waste of time to engage in honest dialogue with a fellow human being who, like me, is a child of God. Most importantly, I have faith in a good and loving God. This idea has had huge implications for my life. This one simple conviction has led me to reject some of the most basic things I was taught as a child. By rejecting superficial articles of traditional faith, I have been able to develop a deeper understanding of God, a more loving ethic, a more sensible morality, and a deeper faith in goodness than that which I was raised in. To elaborate on this would take far more time than I have left, so that will have to wait for another time. Beliefs are necessary but should not stand in the way of faith. Beliefs can anchor our lives in times of turmoil, but as we grow and mature, it is sometimes best to recognize that some beliefs are just stepping stones, not the final destination. Being unwilling to reconsider our beliefs can lead to stagnation. I have faith that looking at the bigger picture is always good. Sometimes looking at the bigger picture can lead us to take a leap of faith in which we leave one, leaf, one belief behind in favor of a better one. Life is a spiritual journey, and faith is the movement toward the unseen goal. I hope you will be encouraged to think about what you should put your faith in, share it with others, allow them to share their thoughts with you, and rest comfortably in the idea that God wants you to walk your own spiritual journey. <laughs>